Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Formula One podcast, Final Corner. My name's Maeve. I'm one of your hosts for this podcast, and I have with me my co-host, Rainier. We just finished watching the Canadian GP and are excited to talk about a number of different things. Qualifying, an update on the numerous breakdowns we saw, a recap of the race strategy for the various teams, an update on our F1 fantasy teams, and finally, a preview of everything you need to know before the next race. Thanks for joining us, and let's kick off today's episode. Before we actually get into the racing itself, one topic that was very prominent leading up to the race weekend was the whole discussion on porpoising. So last week during the podcast, you know, we talked about the number of complaints that honestly drivers across the board had on the porpoising issue and how the drivers really wanted the FIA to intervene in some way, especially due to you know, how extreme the porpoising was during um, the GP in in Baku. And so on Thursday, before race weekend kicked off, the FIA announced that they had plans to control this porpoising. And they issued a technical directive to the teams, basically explaining the measures that they were going to put in place to tackle the porpoising. Um, I thought it was interesting because the FIA actually consoled with doctors Um, about the porpoising and the reasoning you know that they actually intervened I thought was kind of interesting as well so they said because this is a sport that requires so much concentration because you're going so fast and if you're not able to concentrate you're probably going to crash and seriously injure yourself that any sort of like pain experienced by the drivers could have significant consequences if the pain is causing the drivers to lose um, concentration. So it, it's that's, kind of. That's interesting because that's, it's not quite what we talked about last week where we said, you know, the porpoising itself would be, you know, potentially a health issue for the drivers, especially with Lewis getting out of the car, clutching his back. Um, but that the doctors are actually worried about um, the drivers not being able to focus and that that might result in more crashes down the road, which is certainly, you know, another fair very fair point as well to to think about from a safety perspective. Yeah, definitely a fair point. Interesting, because I feel like that wasn't what was like top of mind. Um, but I mean, I mean, makes sense for sure. I think um, in the short term, what the FII said is that they're going to work to develop some sort of metric that would be basically the limit for the acceptable level of vertical oscillations or porpoising. So they're basically mm-hmm going to try to find a way to say like okay here's the max amount of porpoising that's allowed by the teams um they haven't figured out what that's going to be or how they're going to calculate it um or an exact timeline for when that metric would be ready but i do know they asked the f uh f1 teams to help actually contribute to developing that metric and calculation yeah no i think this is i mean this is an interesting solution this is not quite what i was expecting when people asked the fia to intervene i was expecting that they would make you know some some change to or or some change to what's acceptable in terms of car design to reduce porpoising right um and i actually find this an interesting and much more fair solution right because in in, basically what they're saying to the teams is is if you've got too much porpoising, you need to do something like change your ride height, ride height or something else that might hurt the performance of your car. Um, and so what, instead of, you know, giving an advantage um, 
two teams that haven't figured out their porpoising issue, they're basically giving the advantage to the teams that have mm-hmm. um, to go solve, to, to basically say to the teams that haven't figured out the porpoising, well, you have to go solve this issue. Otherwise, you're going to suffer from performance because we're going to increase, we're going to cause you to increase your ride height or you're going to have to do something else to remove uh, this, the, these porpoising issues. And I, I mean, that feels a lot more fair to me, right? It feels, it feels like a better approach than saying, hey, Red Bull, we know you've, you've figured out how to minimize porpoising, but we're actually going to change you know, a piece to the base design of the car so yeah. now everyone has solved porpoising and that doesn't feel quite fair for the teams that are technically on top of it. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting. Um, I know there was like a lot of debate prior to this announcement, as you were saying around like, which teams is this going to help? Which teams is this going to hurt? Um, I think obviously like it's, it seems to be more oriented towards like, let's, not let this affect the drivers as much as opposed to like fixating on like actually changing the car design as much, if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And as you said, yeah, like if teams are outside of the acceptable threshold, then they're going to have to make adjustments to their car, like the ride height, which will probably make it um, a bit less competitive because it'll have less performance. So it'll be interesting to keep tracking this and and see what happens once they actually have a metric in place. And if teams are inside that metric or what happens if some of the teams are outside of that metric, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Transitioning to qualifying. We had a very exciting session in some wet conditions. I, I personally always think it's fun to see qualifying in, in wet because it really shakes up the order from the race as opposed to kind of like same old, same old, I know you were personally happy to see Max dominate qualifying. I think he was fastest in Q1, Q2, and Q3, and no one was even really near him in in the latter two sessions. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've said it for years now, Maeve. Max is excellent <laughs> in the wet, and you haven't believed me, but uh, but Saturday proved otherwise. That's true for you. So you know, it's always nice to be right. <laughs> Al- Alonzo, I mean, it- it's interesting, right? Because Alonzo took P2 to secure his first front row start, right, in a decade, which is excellent to watch. Yeah, amazing. The clean conditions. And, and so you can sort of see some of these these old school uh, top-tier drivers doing really well. And then on top of that, you know, ha- Haas itself, which, um, you know, is maybe not the fastest car on the grid, although they are looking better this year, um, crush qualifying, P5, yeah. P6. We've historically seen K-Mag do well in the, in the rain, but but so did Mick Schumacher as well. And I think that's what makes everyone so excited about the wet, right? Is that it, it just feels like the great equalizer. It, it becomes less about the individual cars and more about the drivers and, and everyone's kind of given, given, I don't know if, if equals equipment is, the, is, is really accurate, mm. but it feels like it's, it's a much more level playing field that, you know, there are opportunities for everyone. So that's why I love the red, wet. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And actually another person who I thought crushed it during qualifying was uh, Joe Guan Yu. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I feel like we've talked about this before. He's had a rough start to the season with a lot of retirements that weren't really his fault. But he was stoked and I was stoked um, when he made it into Q3. Yeah. Um, and actually his lap in Q2 was like over half a second faster than Botas's lap who didn't make it into Q3. So I don't know. I feel like that just kind of validated, especially like a rookie doing well in the wet conditions, just kind of like 
validated, you know, his spot in an F1 and that he definitely deserves it. Yeah. And then on the, I, I think on the flip side, you know, there are a couple of drivers that had a, had a pretty rough showing. Um, first off, Perez, obviously, you know, with Leclerc out of the picture, he, he should have been, but, and, and maybe not even with Leclerc out of the picture, given he's, he's second over, he was second overall. Yeah. The stand, he's going into the weekend. Um, you know, he should have been fighting with Max for that pole position. Um, and unfortunately just, you know, crashed in, crashed into, in Q2. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because it then kind of created a situation where, you know, during the actual race, there was only one Red Bull and only one Ferrari in, in contention. Um, and it just, you know, it makes, it makes the overall strategy a little bit trickier. And, you know, we've talked in the past about Mercedes having Hamilton Botas to, to line up against Max and, and it sort of didn't seem like there was a, as much, you know, team strategy going on, um, which is just a sort of a result of, of what happened during qualifying and, and Leclerc's, uh, you know, engine swaps. Yeah, no, definitely interesting. And I mean, the qualifying I'm sure was not what Perez wanted as he's yeah. like, was getting closer to max in the championship points. And, after he's had a couple of like really great weekends and also some weekends where he's qualified ahead of max. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe, maybe that goes back to your point about how well max does in the rain, but um, I think another driver who had a surprisingly rough qualifying was Lando Norris. So the announcers and everyone around me was saying Norris is known as a driver for doing well in the wet conditions, but as we were watching, I was overall like not very impressed, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, he did have to retire in Q- Q2. I felt like he wasn't really putting up super impressive lap times before that. Mm-hmm. Um, to be fair, later on, Norris did say that they, they had an issue that was starting towards the end of Q1 and happened in Q2, which was probably why his lap times didn't seem as impressive. I guess he had like a sensor issue on his power unit. Um, so that that might be why when we were watching, we were just like not seeing him really put up competitive lap times whatsoever. Yeah, it's a bit of a bummer because because, you know, the McLaren hasn't been super strong this year. And and to our point on kind of the, the great equalizer here in the wet, it, it would have been nice to see, you know, Norris up there after after qualifying. Yeah, and then there were two teams who had pretty disastrous qualifyings, I would say, Alphatari mm-hmm. and Aston Martin, especially because I think Aston Martin and Pierre Gasly were looking pretty good in pra- in the practice sessions, which were also, you know, wet conditions. Um, can you explain what went wrong for both of these teams? Yeah, so I, I mean, as you said, Vettel was doing pretty well in, in free practice. He was in the in the top ten throughout, including both the dry sessions on Friday, um, but was really, you know, actually crushing it during the during the rain hit session in FP three, um, and you know, but Vettel was complaining on the radio that the car felt completely different from from FP three to Q one. He felt like he had no grip, and you know the the rear left was. It felt like the rear left was broken. Um, I think that's a direct quote from from Vettel. And so, you know, apparently Aston Martin believed that the cause of the problem was was failing to reduce the tire pressure enough to compensate for the track conditions improving. Um, and it's interesting because in the morning they were really struggling to get the temperature up, and then in the afternoon it was sort of the exact opposite issue. 
So when the track was colder and wetter, they were struggling to get the tire temperatures up and it was, you know, taking longer to build up the tire pressure. And then with the drier track and qualifying, they didn't reduce the pressure enough because of their issues in FP3. And so, you know, Vettel was understandably upset because he felt like, you know, the team missed out on a major opportunity, um, which I get, right? Like, I, you, yeah. you know, that feels like a, a a team dynamic. That's It's always tricky, right, when you're trying to compensate for, for one problem and that leads to another problem. Um, it sounds like the team was was af- actively, you know, trying to adapt, and it's a bummer that it worked out that way, but that's, you know, that's Formula One. Yeah. Um, you know, on top of uh, on top of Vettel, um, you know, l- lacking the grip, Stroll was, you know, compromised by a yellow flag that caused, you know, caused by Carlos Sainz. Um, so he also struggled during qualifying uh, because of that as well. Yeah. So both both Aston Martins were out in Q1. I yeah. I feel like I think Vettel was definitely super upset and it's sad because as you said a lot of times we're seeing like the more experienced drivers who maybe aren't in the best cars like perform super well in these wet conditions and so I think everyone was hoping that we would see like another awesome Vettel qualifying session and then the team I guess just I, I don't know it just shows how many different inputs there are and I mean on one hand, I'm like, it sounds like the other teams were kind of able to figure out grip and the right tire pressure. But at the same time, you know, it sounds like, as you said, they're trying to compensate for issues they had in FP3 and it just kind of went went the wrong way for them. Um, can you also explain what went wrong for AlphaTauri? Yeah, no, I, I can. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because P3 was, was great for Gasly. Um, but the but you know the teams pretty much completely missed the mark in qualifying it was just, it was really hard to watch uh, given that both of them are on my f1 fantasy team yeah. um but the start of q1 was going really well for him and then he came into box and and after that you know he had an issue with the brakes which made it really difficult and and just couldn't get it through to q2 um his fairly large issue uh, was one with, you know, with his front brakes during qualifying, which meant that he suffered from pretty inconsistent braking performance with a large amount of front locking, preventing him from, you know, extracting the performance from his car and, and you know, not getting quite out of it what he, what he would have hoped to get out. Mm-hmm. And then Yuki, on top of that, also didn't have a great qualifying. Um, but that was kind of, you know, planned due to him taking an en- engine penalty for introducing a new power unit and him starting in the back of the grid. So, so, you know, he, he was always planned to do a few laps there. It's just, you know, it, it is what it is. They, they were going to take the penalties. And so it, there wasn't a lot of reason for him to, to fight hard during qualifying, uh, but a, a bit tough to watch uh, for Pierre as well. Should we, yeah. should we move on to the race? Yeah. I feel like just one last thing before the yeah. race um, that I feel like we should hit on was George Russell kind of, taking a risky strategy in Q3, yeah. the only driver trying to go on the soft tires and, you know, it didn't end up working out for him and he didn't have any time to kind of go back and um, switch his tires back to wets or intermediates. So yeah, I don't know. I, I thought that was a bold play and not a very conservative play on his part either. It, it felt like he was, he was really grasping at something there. Um, and it wasn't necessarily, you know, needed. 
Um, it, it, it could have worked, but he's a, you know, he's a fast driver. He's, he's turning out pretty consistent performances. Um, you always, you know, you always fight for, for P1 and, and pole position, but, but it just seemed like an odd moment for him to choose to, to, to do something completely different than the rest. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. I think now we can transition to the race. Let's do it. Let's kick off the race by covering a few of the breakdowns that we saw. Can you give us a quick recap of the various issues and, and breakdowns during the race? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think we could start with Perez um, since he was the first to retire. You know, he, he made his way up into to P10 from P13, although he only did a, a, a few laps. Um, I think it was like lap eight or something like that, where he pulled off the side of the track with a, with a mechanical issue. And that caused kind of the, the first virtual safety car at that point. Um, you know, he started in a tough position from qualifying. And then, and then uh, I was kind of excited to see, you know, whether or not he'd be able to, to climb through the ranks uh, despite that. And, and, you know, an early, an early gearbox issue just caused him to have to retire. Uh, it's interesting, right? Cause, cause I think Red Bull mentioned that the gearbox was at the end of its life, but that it, that they thought it should have held. Uh, I think Helmut Marco even speculated that it could have been, you know, something related to Saturday's accident, even though he didn't directly hit the gearbox, but, but I, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a bummer. Um, yeah. To have that happen and not have him kind of have the opportunity to, to fight Max for that title position. So, you know, back to back bad luck there with qualifying and, and the race day itself. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a bummer also to your point, he was starting in P13, but, you know, we saw Charles Leclerc start from P19 and able to see, you know, how much he was able to climb up, um, yeah. which I think we'll talk about later in the race. But Prez probably could have easily been somewhere in that top five, like who knows. And so mm-hmm. bit of a bummer to not be able to see where like he could have ended. And also I'm sure he's pissed um, because the lack of liability isn't his fault. And that definitely – impacts his championship fight with max so yeah no absolutely so uh the next breakdown was you know not too long after that it was mick schumacher who said that he was he was losing power and then ordered by his engineer to stop the car after the race he mentioned that it was like the mg mg uk or mguh that was completely broken um which also caused kind of this abrupt stop that they weren't expecting um, and you know, he had to, he had to slow down quickly. Otherwise I think they would have had bigger issues to contend with. Um, it was especially heartbreaking, I think, right. Cause you know, as we talked about, uh, Mick started in P6, he lost piece, you know, two places, but, but was in kind of P7 around that time. And it, it looked like he was going to score his first points in F1, especially on the back of, you know, people saying that his performance has been a bit lackluster this season yeah. and, and it looked like he was finally putting it all together. And then through no fault of his own, you know, the car breaks down. Um, and I think that just goes broader on, on Haas's insanely yeah. tough weekend. I, I hate to see it because it's obviously an American team, but you know, um, they, I think everyone was excited to see them start at what was it? It was like P five, P six or P six, P seven. Yeah. They, they, they were in a, in a really solid spot. And then it felt like just everything that could have possibly gone wrong went, went wrong for the team there. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was it was tough to watch. It was just like one thing after another, I feel like, for the team during yeah. the race. Um, their other driver, Kevin Magnuson, had like a some front wing end plate damage after kind of a small incident with Lewis Hamilton after the first lap of the race. And it was interesting because it seemed like everything was going to be okay because his engineers were on the radio saying everything's fine. Like you can keep racing. Like this isn't going to impact our performance. But then I think a few laps later, he was given the black and orange orange flags, which basically forces him to pit immediately. And they had to switch the front wing, which is not ideal when you're like, you know, early in the race, way outside of the desired pit window And to make matters worse, I think they had, like, a very slow pit stop or, like, the pit stop was not clean whatsoever. And so he basically was dropped back all the way into last place, you know, within the first few laps of the race. And it's kind of hard to recover from there. Yeah, I I mean, I I find this interesting, right? Like, obviously, you're you're trying to make sure that there aren't pieces of the car that are flying up at drivers. But he had done – I he must have done a number of laps um with his with his wing like that it wasn't affecting his performance um it hadn't come off yet so it was it, it just felt a i don't know it felt like a bit of an overreach to give him the black and orange flag for that one mm-hmm. um maybe that's like a there's a small piece of me that just wanted to see K-Mag uh continue to perform yeah. where he was um but it it felt like a you know, a step too far um, to give them the black and orange fly. I've seen worse hanging from, from F1 cars. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And I think to make matters even worse for Haas, they're now five races without any points at all. So like five races in a row, not yeah. a single driver scoring points, which is really a bummer because I feel like at the very beginning of this season, we were talking like, Haas is crushing it like so excited to see how they're going to do the rest of the season and yeah. I feel like they're now just kind of in this major slump yeah I, I mean I think they came in with a with a really solid car and a car that uh, had the potential to 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 be up there and I, I don't know if it's seen kind of the same improvements that that other teams have seen uh, and then they've obviously struggled from a number of issues um, with you know car failures and yeah. crashes from Mick Schumacher. It's, it's a bit of a bummer. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, you know, this, this weekend is a bit of a, a wake up call for them where, you know, they, they go back, they evaluate and they, they start to sort out some of these issues that are, that are causing just, you know, broad, broad losses and in, in opportunities for them to get points. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, another driver who, was suffering from a a mechanical issue during the race, but that I actually didn't know was suffering from this until after the race was Alonzo. So I think, uh, you know, he started in P2 after an amazing qualifying, as we talked about, I think he ended up having a super rough race where he just had some bad strategy calls, I guess. And then, um, And I guess also coupled with this performance issue that we didn't really realize was going on. So he said that around lap 20, he started suffering from issues with his engine and the energy recovering system or ERS. So 
for context, the ERS is basically what allows drivers to use the energy that's been generated from the MGUH and MGUK. Um, so, you know, a lot of times you'll see drivers like the back of their car uh, blinking red light, and that indicates when they're actually harvesting or, or using that energy from um, the ERS. A lot of times it's when they're defending or trying to overtake, but According to Alonzo, by not having this working effectively, he was losing about like a second a lap. Yeah, I mean, it definitely it definitely makes a huge difference, right? It's it's what it's what these drivers use to overtake and and um, and prevent themselves from getting overtaken. So it's it's certainly it's certainly something that'll have a have a big impact on performance. So I, I totally can see how that uh, would hurt him. I think they also, you know, truthfully suffered from from a couple of bad strategy calls as well. I mean, there were two virtual safety cars in the first 20 laps of the race and, you know, people in front of him, people behind him pitted during, during one of those. And, and he stayed out during both of them and finally, you know, pitted on lap 28, but ended up costing himself, you know, a full pit stop when, when other people were taking advantage of the, of the virtual safety car there. Yeah, it was, I I agree with you. I think, combination of both things he ended up finishing in p7 but then was you know just to add insult to injury was handed a five second time penalty for weaving on the straights which was actually like right as they were coming into the checkered flag trying to defend i was about to say i don't don't even remember i didn't yeah it was it was yeah like literally as they were coming into the checkered flag on that final straight he was trying to defend against botas and that cost him two places. So he ended up in ninth, which I mean, I I just feel like that's tough given that he was in a P2. I feel like he should have been able to hold on to like, you know, a top five finish and it just didn't convert for him. Yeah, no, it's, it's heartbreaking to watch. You know, he likes, I'm sure likes, like everyone likes racing in front of the grid there. Um, And I'm sure it was, it was, great for him to be back on the the front row since i I don't even remember the last time he was um but for him to just not be in a position to be able to convert that is 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 got to be a you know a bit of a sinking feeling on on sunday when he leases leaves the uh gp there another team that i think had some pretty rough strategy was mclaren yeah i mean (laughs) maybe uh maybe not quite rough strategy but maybe uh maybe sloppy execution there with the double stack. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You should, you should walk through that. Definitely not clean to say the least. Um, so yeah, they, they tried to do pull off a a double pit stop under the virtual safety car. I mean, I guess kudos to them for getting their cars into pit under the virtual safety car. Um, Ricardo, I think was running in the points at ninth and Norris was in 13th at this point when they, called the yeah. drivers in Ricardo had a slow pit stop. I think it was around like four seconds longer than it should have been. Um, and this was due to actually the crew member who's supposed to remove the front right tire was like late to the pit basically. And so the guy yeah. who was supposed to be putting on the tire was the one who had to take it off. Yep. So some sort of miscommunication there. Not all the pit guys were were there on time. 
And because he had a slow pit, that delayed his teammate, Norris, from getting starting his pit stop. Um, and besides starting it late, uh, Norris had even a worse pit stop when first they accidentally put on the wrong tires. So they put, I think, medium tires on the front left instead of the hard tires. They had to like put that on, take it off, then put the correct hard on. And then um, they had another issue with the front right again with the tire mm-hmm. arriving late. You could literally see a guy like running with the tire during the pit stop. Um, and so I think Lando was literally in the pit lane for like 19 or 20 seconds longer than he should have been, which is a very long amount. I mean, that's like double the, the entire pit yeah. lane time. Yeah, I mean, it, it just seemed like they were not prepared at all. Um, I'm not sure if that's like them making the call to last minute, but it feels like, you know, on, on one hand, they should either be at any given lap, like the, the pit team should be ready for, for whatever the call is, mm-hmm. or, or they should have a, you know, this is too late. We don't have the time to pit moment. Right. Um, yeah. But it didn't seem like they were prepared in, in either direction to, to do that, which is which is tough to watch, right? And, and it should have, it feels like the, the pit lane team should have been prepped um, to, to be ready for the, for the double stack there. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because like, it, yeah, who knows how they weren't ready or how there was a miscommunication, but it seemed like everything that could have gone wrong for that pit stop pretty much did. And then yeah. to top it off for Norris, he got a five-second penalty for speeding in the pit lane. I'm sure kind of like anxious. After, insult like, to insult to injury. Yeah. And so as a result of all of this, um, Daniel Ricardo dropped out of the points and finished in 11th and Norris ended up down in 15th. So neither car yeah. ended up finishing in the points out this past weekend, which is rough. Yeah. Another unfortunate weekend for McLaren for sure. And then I think, you know, on the flip side of that, I think that a, a team that had really great and clean strategy was Mercedes. I mean, they're just such a, a well-oiled machine at this point. We saw them call in Russell for a pit when they saw Mick slowing down before the virtual safety car had even, you know, when they saw basically like Mick slows down, the virtual safety car isn't even called yet, and they're already calling Russell in for a pit in anticipation, right? That's a team that's prepped ready to go for for a pit at any moment yeah and that's really where mclaren needed to be yeah no i completely agree watching that was super impressive they literally like as you said preempted the virtual safety car ensuring that russell didn't miss the opportunity and their pit stop was completely clean because i don't know the the pit crew was ready you know to go at a at a moment's notice to switch those tires yeah i mean I think that Mercedes, like we, we've talked every week now about yep. how they're, they're constantly up there and, and they, they race like a very clean top tier team. And not only that, but this weekend, it seemed like they were actually, the cars were a lot more drivable again. Mm-hmm. Right? It seems like they're making steady improvements here as they should be. And, you know, like two of the, the front runners were obviously out of the top five this weekend, but, but it felt like, you know, Mercedes's pace was kind of the closest it's it's been to the front runners all season. And and at one point Lewis was even setting fastest laps. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, Hamilton and Russell seemed to think that they would have been 
battling it with Charles during the race, especially given the safety car. Uh, but that never actually, you know, panned out. Um, yeah. So they also- were, yeah, yeah, like they were able to, like Charles never was like in contention for passing Russell or Hamilton, which was interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think Hamilton, even early in the race, was like, where's Charles? Where's Charles? So it was clearly in their mind that they thought Charles was going to be, you know, right on, uh, right behind them. And, and that didn't happen. Yeah. And, and look, that might be a little bit on, on what was happening in Charles's race as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it, I think it's a, a good sign for the Mercedes as well. Um, you know, that they're a, a little bit more on the pace there. Um, and, you know, it seems like they're iterating, right? Because they, mm-hmm. they had a rough practice session on Friday um, with Hamilton. He ran an experimental floor setup and, you know, they figured out it was a disaster and they ditched it for, mm-hmm. for a change. And they, they've had some other experimental setups um, before that they've actually run the races in. And, and so they're learning from uh, themselves and they're iterating and they're getting better and, and incremental improvements. And I think that's that's what the Mercedes team is defined by, right? These consistent, small, incremental improvements as they work their way up the leaderboard. They're not quite matching, you know, the Red Bull and the Ferrari, but three and four is a super solid result. Hamilton seemed a lot more positive, which I'm sure he was. Um, and George still maintained his, his top five streak. Um, so, you know, it seems like things are really starting to come together. Yeah, I was not sure if George was going to be able to pull off maintaining his top five streak um after that risky qualifying but he literally was up i think from like eighth to fifth within the first few laps of the race so i don't know like yeah he definitely has had um an awesome season and to the point that i think we've made like literally every single week ferrari and red bull seem to be having these like issues with one or one of their cars and Mercedes, although their car performance isn't the same, they're still able to kind of do the best that they can and keep themselves in that like third, fourth, fourth, fifth position. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, at this point they're, they're only 40 points outside of second with Ferrari. Right. And which just goes to show that the consistency and the, the, the week in week out strong, good strategy performance they don't have a, as fast of a car as ferrari and they're they're closing down the, the points pretty quickly too so transitioning to ferrari and a big what if for carlos signs if they had a slightly different strategy could signs have won the race so i want to get your thoughts on this but first yeah. give a bit of context so signs was in first in the race, I think towards like the last, you know, third or fourth of the race, um, he was on much older tires. He ends up pitting under the safety car that came out and he switched to hard compound tires, which were at that point, six laps fresher than Verstappen's. Obviously he comes out and Verstappen has now passed him, but they're behind the safety car. So, you know, they're pretty close to each other. The race didn't actually restart until there were 16 laps remaining. And so my question is, would he have been better off actually switching to the soft tire compound? Um, And I say soft because he didn't have any mediums left. And so the only options there were hard or soft tires. But 
I don't know, like soft tires may have given him a bit more advantage to actually overtake uh, Verstappen, which he was obviously not able to do. The other option would have been to just not pit signs at all and, and give, you know, make sure he has the track position. Um, Max had actually commented after the race that Ferrari had significant pace. And before the safety car came out, he actually didn't think he was going to be able to catch Ferrari and, and signs even said he thought he was the fastest car all weekend. So I don't know, two kind of like, what if situations there, I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's an interesting take, right? I think that the second option to not pit at all would have, put him in a really risky position. I don't yeah. I don't know that that works out for him because, you know, Max was closing a second, if not half a second a lap, or half a second, if not a second a lap um, prior to the safety car. It was it was going to be tough. It was probably tough for Max to overtake, but those this tires that Sainz was on were old. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think that would have put him in a position with, behind, you know, a safety car restart for for him to be able to hold off Max for that many remaining laps. So I think that's an interesting call, but I don't think that works. Mm-hmm. The The other one, him pitting onto softs, that I, I find a, perhaps a more plausible solution. It's a lot of laps, right? The 16 yeah. laps on the softs. Um, and, you know, you had not seen other teams run on the softs, so it is sort of a risky move on Ferrari's part to go try that. But I think at the same time, you know, look, if he truly thought he was the faster car, then him being on six six lap fresher tires and that many laps remaining, he should have been able to pass. I yeah. think I think you make the call to go onto the softs if you don't think you're the faster car, right? And and you feel like you need the extra boost on the softs in order to get past Max Verstappen. I think it was a good decision in the end that they made for the hards and it, it didn't pan out. I think they're it's certainly possible that if he pitted onto the softs that he could have taken Max Verstappen, but I think it was a smart, uh, just good strategy decision for, for them to pit him and put him onto those hearts. Yeah, I think that's fair. I guess it was just so, I mean, frustrating, I guess, only if you're a Ferrari fan to see signs like so close to potentially passing Max, but yeah, it not being able to actually happen for like, the last 16 laps I feel like I was stressed the whole time just because I wanted something to happen and um it obviously didn't pan out and I mean it would have been Sainz's first victory I think that's why I was kind of rooting for him for him there yeah I mean I you know I'm a I'm a Verstappen fan but I think that you know even I would have been incredibly excited to see uh, a Sainz win I think I think we all want that for him So the other Ferrari driver, Charles Leclerc, started in P19 um, because he had taken an engine penalty for a new um, internal combustion engine, new turbo, new MGUH, new MGUK, (laughs) basically a lot of a lot of new parts um, after he had major engine issues that caused him to retire from Baku. So Ferrari was you know, able to turn and Leclerc obviously was able to turn that P19 into a P5, which I think is a pretty solid finish, all things considered. Yeah. But it's interesting because Leclerc had predicted before the race started that he would be able to finish in P4. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I think one of the the I think the the major mistake that cost Leclerc his target of P four was probably, uh, you know, maybe it's two major mistakes. You know, it's a combination of of a lack of straight line speed, which made it tough for him to overtake, and then a very slow, you know, that very slow pit stop that he had. Yeah, you know, the the pit stop it was a it was a five point three second pit stop which is at least two seconds longer than it should have been and then he comes out right behind a drs train of cars in p12 you know that ferrari was obviously targeting to come out ahead of and that just puts him it puts him in a tough position where he just you know he doesn't have that clean air and and Mm -hmm. has to fight for those initial few spots and then on top of that has to push a brand new set of tires early and we know that if you push a set of tires early you know, that's when you're going to get the biggest degradation is yeah. in those early few laps. And that's actually, if you can, where you want to be taking it a little easier on the tires. So, you know, I, I think that probably hurt him. Um, and then you know, even before that, you have Leclerc stuck behind Ocon for what basically seemed like it was going to be the rest of the race. Yeah. You know, it was, it was laps 21 through 40. Uh, where he's trying to pass Esteban Ocon's Alpine when he's supposedly in one of the fastest cars out there, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, Leclerc himself attributed it to Ocon being on much fresher tires, which is probably, you know, part of part of what was going on there. Uh, but the announcers seemed to think it was, you know, a, sort of a, a lack of straight line speed on the part of the Ferrari, which we've, we've certainly seen from them as well. Yeah, I think that was also extremely painful for people to watch. I was lit. I was literally just like, okay, can Leclerc just overtake Ocon? Like it was taking yeah. so long. Um, I mean, I think maybe he didn't get the result that he wanted, but I personally think, you know, Leclerc did an j- awesome job limiting the damage. Obviously, that could have been done from starting in P nineteen. Um, and I think what was also cool to see is he wasn't overtaking Ocon at kind of the like quote-unquote traditional parts of the track where you would on the straights with DRS and so he ended up pulling two kind of unorthodox overtakes lunging um, on the hairpin turn since he wasn't able to overtake as I said on the straights and kind of like catching Ocon and then I forget who the other car was but another uh, car off guard by by overtaking them there which was kind of cool to see. Yeah, I mean, I, he's obviously an excellent driver and and kind of using the advantage, um, you know, using using the moments that he has where he he does have an advantage to to go ahead and, and make those passes. I think that's important um, and and that's good adaptability on his part. I think it's interesting because there was also another Ferrari powered car that had a lot of trouble overtaking. Um, and that was Joe Guanyu with Alfa Romeo, who was stuck behind Stroll for also what seemed like a very long time. Yeah, I mean, you could you could hear Joe on the on the radio complaining multiple times about how hard it was to overtake. Overtake. He he, he was saying he didn't have enough speed to overtake on the straights, even with the DRS, which is you know a little scary. Um, he did end up finishing ninth, which you know became eighth when when Alonso ended up getting that penalty. Um, and it's a great outcome for him. Some more points in his rookie year. So it ends up being a great race for him. But it's always frustrating for a driver to, to you know, be doing the right things and then not be able to overtake for something kind of completely out of your control. 
Yeah, no, that's definitely fair. I agree. But I will say I'm happy for Joe. I feel like he's had a ton of bad luck. I think we said this earlier. He's had a ton of bad luck throughout this season, like where he's been forced to retire. But I agree with you. He's having a great rookie year. I was pretty impressed during the race with some of the overtaking and defending that he did. And I think overall, it was a good weekend for Alfa Romeo with both of their cars in the points. Yeah, absolutely. Do we want to quickly cover our F1 fantasy teams? I know the listeners are probably pretty tired of hearing me beat you week after week, so we can keep it brief. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay if we, we skip the segment completely, <laughs> just given given this performance. And, and I already know, I haven't even looked at it, but I already know it's going to be a, a disastrous result. I was watching each of my, my team members crumble this weekend, so... What <laughs> I, I can start. I'll start. Okay. I, I mean, I had Verstappen, obviously, another great weekend. He keeps performing week after week. So that's pretty course, much your only your only solid driver. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much right. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have, I have Ferrari as the constructor, which has also been very strong. So that's where I get all my points pretty much every week. Uh Norris was wait how many points was sorry how many points was Max Verstappen was 44 Ferrari had 60 points uh Norris was a disaster didn't get into Q3 (laughs) lost positions during the race so (laughs) he was tough to watch Gasly um actually like did decently well um points wise like better than i was expecting um he scored he scored 11 points somehow he gained double digits yeah i I mean he gained a few places in the race he ended up beating sonoda um uh, you know honestly i don't really know how he scored points but he scored 11 points <laughs> okay. so i i'll take it i was not yeah. getting that out of this weekend sonoda on the other hand disastrous uh disastrous weekend minus nine points schumacher as well what what an example of heartbreak i mean yeah this key three finish he qualifies in sixth place and then drops out of the race so <laughs> It's, you know, you hate to see it. Uh, So that gives me a a total. He's got negative two points. So a total of 106 points this weekend, which is pretty rough to watch. Yeah. Um, I like for some of those how you didn't even share the points. Um, So to be fair, my team wasn't great either. I was really saved by my turbo driver and my constructor. Um, Yeah. So Red Bull was my constructor, which gave me a solid 31 points, not as good as Ferrari. Um, And that's obviously because of Perez having to drop out of the race. Um, Perez actually gave me negative eight points, which really sucks. Good thing I didn't switch him as my turbo driver. Like, thank God I was too lazy to do that. (laughs) Um, Signs total of 84 points uh because he was my turbo driver which was pretty solid and then the rest of my drivers all pretty disappointing in the single digits um 
Daniel Ricardo with only seven points. Not sure how he had, literally has less points than Pierre Gasly, but whatever. Um, Fernando Alonso, another example of someone that I was like, he's going to bring me some great points this weekend. No, he only got seven points because um, he lost so many places during and then, and he he lost to his teammate in the end too, which is crazy. And then another person that I was super stoked, and then it just did not pan out was Kevin Magnuson. He only had five points. Um, yeah. So I feel like there was so much potential, and it fell flat. So my score wasn't great, but I did beat you. So I got one hundred and twenty six points. Wow! Look at you. Yeah. I'm all starting that to think that we should we should stop talking about these F1 fantasy teams, unless <laughs> all of a sudden Norris posts an amazing comeback for us this season. So, and that well, case, you never I'm know. More than happy to talk about it. Maybe and at his hometown track next weekend, Maybe. we'll be able to pull something out for the fans. That's also a good transition to the preview for the next week. Yes, that is true. We have a week off from Formula One before we head to the UK for the British GP at Silverstone. Rainier, do you want to give us an overview of this very classic F1 circuit? Yeah, absolutely. So British GP dates all the way back to 1950 when the first race was held here. The track is actually a Royal Air Force station built in 1942. Uh, the airfield's three runway, runways lie within the outline of kind of the classic racetrack there. The circuit is 5.891 kilometers, uh, and it's, you know, it'll be held over 52 laps. It's got 18 corners, two DRS zones, and the track features a famous sequence of extremely fast corners known as Maggots, Beckett's, and Chapel Curve. This sequence of corners is often taken at speeds between 235 and 310 kilometers per hour and is considered one of the most selective passages in the championship. Lewis Hamilton, hometown hero here, yeah. holds the lap record uh, at 1 minute 24.303. Uh, he also holds the most number of wins here with seven total wins. Uh, unsurprising given it's his home race, but... Still an impressive record here. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how him and the rest of the British drivers fare at the track. Um, with He's that, competing against the British driver this year. So Yeah, that's true. I know. Mer- Mercedes will have a lot of fans, I think, at this <laughs> race. Uh, with that, let's close it out. Thank you, everyone, for joining us and listening to the podcast. We will be back with another episode in two weeks for the British GP at Silverstone. Please consider subscribing so you don't miss the episode. In the meantime, we would love for you all to leave a review and share any feedback you have on what you want to hear so we can improve the podcast for you all. Till next time, bye-bye.